0: My baby elephant sound. Wow, you make good elephant sounds. <laughs> you that practice? was the
1: best I've ever done that. I've that never was. been able to do it. I was going to say, have you been practicing? No. Just like channeled. That's why I like my eyes closed, just because I was like channeling. You Your inner elephant? elephant? <laughs> And remember this podcast is not safe for work so listen with headphones.
0: Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips,
1: a podcast about brains, beverages and other BS. I'm Bonnie and I'm Anna and we're back. Hello. Hello. There's a pandemic on still. There still is. But we're still here. We're still fine. Don't worry about us. <laughs> In our bunker. Our <laughs> our airtight bunker. That would be kind
0: of cool, actually. But we got <laughs> the next a best thing, that. though. Yeah, we're, we're doing good, though. We're we're keeping our distance somewhat, and we're doing what we're supposed to do, right? I'm
1: doing whatever I can. Tell you that. I don't care about that. I don't want to talk about that. I'm tired of talking about COVID. Good. Let's talk about our new friend. <gasps>
0: Let's we have a new friend. A new friend. Yay! Woohoo! He's kind of limp.
1: <laughs> okay, we should explain what that is before you say stuff like that. Before I say he's limp. So, oh. a few episodes ago during our EMDR episode, we talked about the vagus nerve mm-hmm. and how important the vagus nerve is in like regulating your emotions and regulating your body functions and our faithful listener, like captain of our fan club, <laughs> katie katie you're the captain of our fan club <laughs> made us a vegas nerve like out of felt it's she's delightful so, she's so artsy fartsy it's, it's ridiculous. wonderful i will put a picture up on instagram it's mm-hmm. he's he's brilliant and i love him i think we should call him reno reno the vegas nerve
0: oh i get it <laughs> okay it's a deal that's his name reno he's great he's yellow he's
1: so yellow <laughs>
0: Which is like, that's a nerve
1: color, I get Yellow's
0: it. a happy color.
1: Happy nerve color. Ah, he's
0: a happy nerve. Yeah, so thanks, Katie.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Katie. We love him. We
0: will think of you every time we see him.
1: <laughs> every time we squeeze him, yeah, hug pa- him and squeeze him. Yeah,
0: the top of him is, is more um, squeezable than the bottom part, which is probably true. Although he's got a little squeezy right there. <laughs> Not sure what that's about, but yeah, And
1: his thighs—he's got thick thighs. <laughs> he's working out. <laughs> Did not skip leg day?
0: But what a sweet thought, though. Yeah, that she would make us that a warms Vegas my move. heart
1: that someone made us something. Yes, that they heard on our podcast yes. that just just makes my heart happy. Mm-hmm. Katie, you made our hearts happy.
0: Thanks, Katie. You know, though, if you're listening and you don't feel up to making us some sort of craft. The next best thing would be to leave us a good review. Leave
1: us a good review. Right now, Podchaser, for every new review, is going to donate 15 cents, I believe, to a food bank for the covid stuff and they will double that if the creator responds to the review so if you are listening to this and you have not reviewed us on podchaser just go to podchaser.com search for sips and leave us a good review Uh, hopefully it's a good review and we will respond to it and then we will be helping the cause for covid19 oh
0: that's awesome i didn't know that that's a very good thing let's remind him of that at the end of this episode too
1: we'll bookend it Okay. So I know I said I didn't want to talk about the COVID stuff, but this episode is kind of inspired by the COVID stuff a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because when we talked about COVID-19, we were talking about the toilet paper Uh shortage. Mm -hmm. And that kind of led us into just the briefest, the scantest of discussions about mob mentality Mm -hmm. and about kind of panic, like mass panic. Right. And so let's talk about that a little more. Let's talk about mob mentality stuff. Okay. So where do we start with that?
0: Well, and linked to that is something that's called emotional contagion. Can we start with that?
1: That sounds so serious. It's
0: supposed to be. Well, I thought when I was researching, I thought it's interesting, you know, because we are all so absorbed at this time. This is one of those times when I gotta say, oh, then, <laughs> while we're might, recording, this, you might be listening at another time. But when we're recording this, it's a huge big thing that we're all concerned about. Being I think contagious. people will be aware
1: of the global pandemic that happened in <laughs> the universe. Like, yeah, in a couple months or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, it probably won't fade away. <laughs> Although, you know, saying that, like a whole generation – because when I think about about what happened to our country during 9-11, you know, w- there's a whole bunch of people that – Well, yeah,
1: there's a lot of people that were born after.
0: Right. They're not even – they don't remember that at all. So in just a, sh- a blink of an eye, this time period in our history will be – history.
1: Yeah. But. If people are still listening to this 10 years from now I'll be shocked. <laughs> shocked I tell you. Oh
0: <laughs> well we'll be playing it for your children. And oh saying, yeah. See this is That's, what we did. When my
1: kids are in their cribs I'll be like <laughs> putting on some Freudian sips.
0: <laughs> You'll have to wait till they're like adolescents and then play it for them. Be like
1: listen mommy, to what mommy
0: can we listen to the your, Freud what, episode again? <laughs> mommy and grandma did before <laughs> you were born. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about emotional contagion. Okay. And it is what it sounds like. It's kind of catching other people's emotions. And we can all relate to that. I'm sure that you've had a day where you could go either way. Let's say you're kind of down and then you go hang out with your friends and they're all happy and they're having fun. And pretty soon, even though you had reasons to feel down, you start to feel better because you're around people who are happy. Yeah. Or the other way around. You're in a great mood and you go to work and there's these people at work who are always negative and they're saying negative things negative like they always and do. And pretty soon you start to feel negative. you are grumpy. Exactly. And your good mood is gone. So that's emotional contagion.
1: I have a question. Will washing your hands help with this? Washing your hands will not help
0: unless... It just gives you a moment to think happy thoughts. <laughs> Unless you just freaking love washing your hands. <laughs> if it makes you happy to wash your hands, then please do. I mean, do it anyway. Yeah, You're all yeah, supposed to be doing hands. it like crazy. So let me give you a quote from Elaine Hatfield, who's a co-author of a book that's called Emotional Contagion. She, by the way, is a professor of psychology at the University of Hawaii, which Hawaii. is where, where we should have gotten our master's degrees. Yes. We weren't thinking we should have gone to Hawaii. Aloha, going to get my master's degree. (laughs) Aloha, just here to study, thank you. I'll be on the beach, please call me when class starts.
1: (laughs) I'm on island time, and that time (laughs) is class time. Let's go.
0: Okay, so Elaine said, this is her definition of emotional contagion, a tendency to automatically mimic and synchronize facial expressions, vocalizations, postures, and movements with those of another person and consequently to converge emotionally.
1: So this reminds me of uh-huh, Mirror uh-huh, Neurons uh-huh, uh-huh. and and Mirroring. Mirror exactly. Neurons was episode 22, if anyone wants to listen that. To was that was a good
0: episode. It was a
1: good episode. They're all good episodes, really. Listen That's to all of true. them. Hey, you're stuck inside anyway. <laughs> listen to all of our episodes. Plug us in, babies. But- I mean like I think that's and we've talked kind of at length even beyond that episode about how we do have those abilities to do that because we're social creatures
0: exactly and how
1: that those are evolutionary that we want to be with other people because that helps us survive basically exactly
0: and that's exactly basically what her book is about Yeah, you know this is it's
1: a- me I'm Hatfield <laughs> well, <that laughs> you <was> really like- <laughs> wrote this book did you
0: <laughs> she says that there are three stages and the first one is mimicry which is exactly what you just said and right. we're using our mirror neurons and that we're, you know, when you're talking to someone and they're smiling and laughing, pretty soon you find yourself smiling with them or vice versa. If They're crying and upset. I mean, how many of us can see someone cry and not get a little weepy ourselves? Well, and
1: yeah, that's the good point that we do that without meaning to. Mm -hmm. It's not like, I mean, there are some people who, like, intentionally do that to... Manipulate
0: in some way. Yeah, exactly. Manipulate.
1: But we all have those mirror neurons built into us. And I've worked with a lot of, especially, like, adolescents Mm -hmm. who are struggling with their self-identity because they do this. And they're like, I don't know if I really know who I am. But it's like, don't... Be so hard on yourself because we do that naturally. Right. It's right. not like you're trying to be a chameleon or whatever. We do that automatically. Exactly. And she talks about
0: how the reason we do it automatically is what you said a little bit ago, that it was a survival thing, mm-hmm. that we want to fit in pack with bond. other people. Right. Exactly. We we want to fit in with that pact. Pack. and
1: <laughs> Packs.
0: Pack. 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 I, I put too many letters Pac- on the Pac- <laughs> stop, stop Stop Stop. Okay. <laughs> so this is something that we were that's innate, that we're born with. But what's happened in our world, in our society, is that it has evolved past just that one on one or even one on a group into the social media thing. Where now we're talking about having that emotional contagion with literally thousands of people in a way. The now emotional technically contagion
1: has gone viral.
0: Exactly.
1: Oh. Oh, oh. Double entendre
0: or whatever that thing is.
1: Entendre. <laughs> French that's, is fun. That's my French. Hey, any French <laughs> listeners? We have. I'm so sorry, because I'm going to be saying some French words too, and they're not. Oh, pretty. good,
0: good. I love French words when you say them.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now it makes sense that when we when we think about this, that negative emotions we just are more passionate about expressing. Mm-hmm. So negative emotions tend to be more contagious, so to speak. Yeah. And we get swept up in that. She talks about in her book that there are some people who are more susceptible to emotional contagion. And actually, when you look at the list, they're basically good things about a person, a person who basically has... Like empathy? Yeah. So the first, there's there's five of them, and I'm just going to go real quick because they it, it, it makes sense that this makes you more susceptible, okay? If you're a person who, at your core, you see a connection between people, like you're into that idea that we're all connected, we are all in relationship, if that's part of your value system, if you are really good at reading nonverbals in other people, you're more susceptible to this. If you are often engaging in mimicry, kind of that's just who you are. You know, like when you talk to somebody who smiles, you smile back when you... So if that's kind of your personality. If you are a good judge of your own internal state, which is interesting. So if you're self-aware, then you can name your emotion and you can, you know, claim that emotion that you're having. Then you're more likely to get caught up in emotional contagion. Okay. And the last one is... If you are more reactive to your own emotional state, like if you're more likely to show your emotions openly, then you're more likely to get caught up in that. And so, again, I say those things that make us more human, susceptible to catching others' emotions are actually all good things. Sure. They're good things. But we have to be careful because we have to know how to have our own boundaries. You know, yeah. we don't want to get too caught up in that. And that kind of goes back to the to the whole thing of empathy, too. As counselors, we're taught that empathy is very important. And we are supposed to be able to link to our clients and feel what That's, they're feeling, basically. Yeah,
1: what makes humanism basically exactly
0: but if we're not careful we get too caught up in that then we're not an effective counselor anymore we well, lose if our we objectivity too,
1: yeah if we get too involved then we can't be there to kind of be the professional guide exactly
0: we're supposed to be the common sense filter
1: yeah that you taught me that
0: i love that that's from kim actually thanks kim i use that like once a week yeah. at least. <laughs> she loves it. <laughs> she should have like copywritten it or she, she said
1: she stole it from someone but couldn't remember who. Oh, so. okay, well. It's just in the ether now. <laughs> it's just part it's of us It's in the universe.
0: Now. That's right. Stop. <laughs> Am I doing that a lot?
1: <laughs> yeah, You've done it like
0: three times. I think it's because this wine is so gross. <laughs> it's like, just <laughs> in my mouth. Wait, let me wash it down with some more. <laughs> I found a flaw in your plan. <laughs> yeah, that's what's making me do it. <laughs> It's bad wine. Bad wine makes me smack my lips, apparently.
1: I offered you some vodka, (sighs) you didn't want it.
0: I know. Okay, so let me talk for a minute about a guy named Gary Slutkin. He's a physician and an epidemiologist. That's hard for me to say. But right now we're hearing a lot about epidemiology. Yes. But he is the co-founder of something called Cure Violence, which is a group to work psychologically with groups to try to Um, Cure violence. Cure violence, basically. Especially like gang violence and and mob mentality in communities where there's a lot of anger, angst. In a book that he's written, he says, anger erupts into violence and spreads in a community a lot like a virus does. He's an epidemiologist (laughs) after all. Um, and there are Write four you know. four mechanisms that he writes about. So the first mechanism uses the same cortical pathways that we use for mimicking, for copying. As humans, we have this innate program that we want to be part of a group. We talked about that before. And that we're safer when we're part of a group. So we copy the group. Right. Whatever that means. The very base level is when you're a baby and you mimic the actions and the language of your caregivers and then we grow into because we don't course, want our
1: moms to eat us <laughs> we
0: don't want our moms to not like us we want to talk just like mom because they don't
1: like us they'll eat it's us. a
0: survival thing <laughs> <What> the- <laughs> i
1: hope that's not that happening happens in nature sometimes probably
0: <laughs> and we do tend to as humans we copy the most significant people In our environment. Mm -hmm. So whether that is our mommy when we're little or if it's uh, one of our peers who's kind of the leader of the group when we're an adolescent or or if we're in a community, the people who are leading. Right. Or
1: romantic partners.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the first thing that we use. The second one involves our dopamine. (laughs) Dopamine.
1: (laughs) Shout out for dopamine. I guess so. (laughs) We're so excited to have dopamine on the show. Hello. Hi, dopamine. Pull up a chair, dopamine. <laughs> we want you to be our friend. I was just listening to a tennis pod where they talked about Oprah singing whenever she introduces a. <laughs> 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 and, they're, and they're like, if you edit out the crowd noise, it's just a crazy lady singing about celebrities. <laughs> Well, I am a crazy
0: lady too. So everyone,
1: go listen to Tennis Pod too <laughs> That's during a good this one. quarantine.
0: That's a good idea. That will help your dopamine.
1: <laughs> so remember that dopamine is that wonderful
0: thing that is part of our reward system, and if we think we're going to get a reward, it like gets all excited. <laughs>
1: <laughs> dopamine it gets fills happy. us
0: with excitement. <laughs> um, so somewhere in there, we think. We, we don't actually think it because it's subconscious, but there's part of our brain that says, hey, if I go along with this crowd, then I'm going to be rewarded somehow. Yeah. And so that fires our dopamine. So it is also a neurological thing. It's not just a thought thing. The other side of that, though, the, the third mechanism is kind of the opposite, and that is that if we're not getting the reward or for some reason we get pulled out of the group, then we start to get worried that we're going to be left out, and we start to panic and get upset, and then we work harder to fit in because it's like, oh, crap, oh, crap. Now I'm not going to fit in. I and then we'll be get, eaten. Uh, right, and we will get eaten. Now that so, one is evolutionary. That is. We think if
1: we're not part of the group, will get we will get behind and eaten yes
0: and the last mechanism that is at play sometimes in this group think the whole emotional sharing of the group is is actually trauma and we've talked about that before that the trauma changes the way our brain works and our amygdala is in that state of hypervigilance and feeling like overreacting to things i guess is where i'm going with this if we've had trauma in our life in whatever sense, then we go into that mode of, oh, no, I'm going to be eaten way quicker than a person who has not had trauma. And so we're more likely to get caught up in the emotional contagion and therefore be part of mob mentality. All right. So that's a good place to jump off. Okay. I'm jumping.
1: We're uh, jumping to me.
0: Jump on to Anna. Let's
1: (laughs) do hop on pop
0: jump on it
1: so mob mentality has a lot of different names it's called herd mentality it's called pack mentality it's even called gang mentality sometimes it's related to other concepts that we've talked about we talked about the ash conformity studies and how how those kind of show that we will go with the crowd i know we've mentioned it several times the time that i remember specifically is when we were on with the necessary bullshit boys on episode Mm -hmm. 25 i remember that also it has to do with d and individuation, which we talked about in episode 15 with the Stanford prison experiment. Can you tell us what deindividuation is? You did an I know that wasn't a good that wasn't a great <laughs> I,
0: I, I hope that I can tell you that you just become you lose yourself yeah you don't know you're not an individual it's exactly. just the way it sounds you lose
1: your sense of individuation. you don't know who you are individually, individually. anymore.
0: Individually. and you just become a part of the group you are not a person unto yourself anymore right and, and in the
1: Stanford prison experiment they intentionally invoked did that, that on purpose yeah, yeah. Bad stuff. Yeah.
0: But if you haven't heard that episode, that's a good episode too.
1: That one's probably one of my favorites, actually. Mm -hmm. But basically what we mean by all this is that when a bunch of people get together in a group, it makes the people in the group lose themselves a bit. And sometimes that happens so much that they will do things very different from their own personal morals or judgment. Like they'll go against themselves Mm -hmm. because they're part of this group that is bringing about these choices. So some causes of this happening can include us versus them mentality, where we start stereotyping those who are kind of against the group and we start seeing them as weak or evil or stupid. Mm. Just that, and it might not even be an us versus them, but if we're in a group, we're the us and everyone else is them. Right. And sometimes it's a specific them, but... Oftentimes it's just like anyone who's against us is 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 them. them.
0: And that might not really be openly verbalized, but it's just the feeling that you have because you're in that group. And
1: often this stuff is not explicit. Right. It's just kind of within the group and it's part of the mentality, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Belief in a righteous cause. So if we believe, and and as I'm saying these things, I'm thinking of like Nazi Germany, Mm -hmm. where the Nazis thought they were really rallying for a good cause. Yep anonymity of being in a group so that's where that de-individuation comes in strength in numbers which is again part of that pack idea Mm -hmm. freedom from censoring yourself which is part of the anonymity lack of guilt which is part of the anonymity and that also ties into responsibility being placed on leaders of the group right so that goes to the like do we charge all the nazis or do we charge the people who are giving the nazis the orders right
0: So the really scary part about that is that that gives people this open door to do things that would normally be against their own value system, but they can blame somebody else for it. Right. They don't take responsibility for it.
1: Yeah, the responsibility is scary. And I think that like talking about the social media stuff, that like anonymity and lack of blame often comes in with the social media stuff because we can hide behind a screen. Exactly. Um, I found three general ideas on why crowds behave the way they do, like three theories that it kind of can come from. One is the contagion theory. We talked a little bit about that, if you remember, earlier (laughs) in this episode. (laughs) That proposes that crowds, they called it a hypnotic influence on their members uh, that result in irrational and emotionally charged behavior uh, because of the crowd frenzy, basically. The next one's convergence theory. And this says that the behavior of a crowd is not created in the crowd. It's that like-minded individuals are coming together. And if it becomes violent, it's not because the crowd was encouraging the violence. It's that the people who came to be in the crowd wanted it to be violent. Oh, okay. and came into a crowd to make that happen. Basically, and there's also the emergent norm theory. Uh, that's where that guy from Cheers wants to have a beer, and there, <laughs> and he's the leader of the group. That wasn't funny, and I I resent you laughing. I kind of think <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> don't don't enable me. The emergent norm theory kind of is. <laughs> I still think it's, it's funny. Not, it's not hey, funny. Hey, Norm. <laughs> That's kind of a group think, right? They all all yell it at the same time. Yeah. So emergent norm theory is kind of the other two combined. And it says that a combination of like-minded individuals coming together and also anonymity of being in a group and sharing those emotions leads to crowd behavior. And because I'm so much of a, like, gray morality spectrum person I think that was probably right I mean I don't think it's just that like-minded people come together I don't think it's just that everyone would be choosing different if they were outside of the group I think it's some combination of those I agree
0: two. I totally agree and I'm not a gray person oh maybe I am
1: <laughs> <laughs> that took uh, I'm I'm listeners I'm, I want you to know I didn't edit <laughs> that pause she literally didn't pause between saying no I'm not and yes I am self-awareness sucks sometimes <laughs> <laughs> so these ideas were put forth by a bunch of people actually here come the french names Arby, oh, already oh good oui, oui. gabriel Tard. t-a-r-d-e Tard. Dad. Dad. He was a French sociologist and he saw psychological interactions among individuals like chemistry, like a hmm. chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the primary forces of these kind of chemical reactions among people are imitation and innovation. So that those two things come together to form a bad reaction, basically. Uh-huh. Okay. The next one is Gustave Le Bon. <laughs> Le Bon. Le Bon. Le Bon. Gustave Le Bon, also French, obviously, he theorized a psychological crowd. That when a group of people come together, they form a new body, like a physical body of the crowd, but also a new collective unconscious.
0: Oh, collective and, unconscious. Yes, mm. and if you
1: remember from episode mm-hmm. four with Young. Man, you are this doing is, all of those episodes. This is episodes. like a best of episode. It is where everyone in the crowd starts to use the group mind. Mm -hmm. That's where that, like, pack mentality comes from. That they start seeing the crowd as a single unit, which, again, further erases the individual motivations of anyone in the crowd. He theorized that three elements create the psychological crowd. Anonymity, contagion, and suggestibility, which is basically all we've talked about already. That's right. You're like Le Bon, good dude. Le Bon. Le Bon. (laughs) Le Bon. Our boy Sigmund Freud had something Yay! to say about her mentality. Siggy. Siggy! what's up, Siggy? Oh, mom's been watching more of that Freud show, and her review of it when I asked her about it was, don't watch it. Don't watch <laughs> it.
0: It really has very little to do with Freud. It's mostly supernatural, so. My favorite part of it is that in letters back and forth from Martha, she calls him Siggy. Aw. Which I think is very sweet. That's what we call him. I know. Only the women who know him the best. <laughs> i
1: <laughs> Marta and Anna and Bonnie. Maybe, maybe his daughter. Maybe his mom. Maybe no, his I mom. don't think so. Probably not his mom. Probably not his mom. <laughs> Uh, so Siggy said that herd mentality was related to safety in numbers, which is something we've already talked about. Another thing that Freud got a little bit right. <laughs> He's just always like 10 <laughs> degrees off center, Sigmund Freud. But the, rather than herd mentality, he called it horde mentality, where we want to be in a group that's led by, he called it a chieftain, led uh-huh. by one person. And I think that goes back to being able to put responsibility on someone. Right, exactly. This could be also related to cults. So in episode 30 and 31, I'm telling you, best of episode. I know. This is like, I just, this is a good reference, though, for it, people it who is. maybe haven't heard those. Yeah. If yeah. you're new, this is like These a starting are, off
0: point. Yeah, jump on one of those.
1: Now, Freud, being Freud, also had things to say about how we join groups in, like, kindergarten because our parents didn't give us enough attention. Obviously. Obviously, why else would we <laughs> join groups, Sigmund?
0: I know, I taught kindergarten for four years, and there were a lot of little gangs
1: going they- on. <laughs> <laughs> the Little cults! Little kindergarten cults!
0: Hey, you kids, break up the gang activity over there. Oh, they man. all wanted to play Play-Doh at the same time. <laughs>
1: it's because Play-Doh's dope! <laughs> Well, oh, Mom, you shouldn't have just kept Play-Doh in your room. That was the only <laughs> fight for my amusement, children. Who, fight for the Play-Doh. Who wins
0: today? You <laughs> shall to be the, the champions of You are the chieftain
1: week. of the kindergarten cult. You are.
0: <laughs> I want to go back to teaching kindergarten so I can do that. <laughs> it's
1: reigniting my fire for teaching kindergarten. <laughs> oh, the power. <laughs> On a throne made of children's bones. <laughs>
0: I do not know at least one of my former kindergarten people listened to this podcast. Oh, no. So she would know I wasn't a bad teacher. Tell the world.
1: <laughs> Emily, I know she's talking it's about It's Emily, Emily. Emily, tell the
0: world. Emily, tweet I us. I was a good kindergarten teacher. Did teach-
1: my mom sit on a throne of children bones <laughs> when she taught kindergarten? <laughs> tweet us. Wilfred Trotter is the next one up. And you
0: are pulling out all kinds of names here. All kinds of names. Okay. That one's not
1: as fun as the other ones. Uh, if he you wrote... Instincts of the Herd in Peace and War. And this was an analysis on group psychology and the ability of large numbers of people to be swayed through an innate tendency. So he was kind of piggybacking off of the Bonds ideas that there's suggestibility and that kind of when people get together, it automatically forms this group and that it's not Mm -hmm. an intentional thing, but it's something that we're all bent to do, basically. Mm -hmm. And really, it's hard to talk about mob mentality just with psychology because a lot of it is sociology. Sociology, yeah. I always, I'm like, where does this line There's a fall? very fine
0: line between sociology. I think sociology we could dive
1: into some sociology stuff because sociology is basically just psychology of crowds or sociology is psychology of society. Society, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of psychological ideas that very much bleed over into sociology Well, and vice a lot versa. of
0: sociologists are counselors. Yeah. So, yeah, we kind of cross paths, cross right. streams.
1: So crowd psychology is a specific part of sociology that focuses on, it's even sometimes called mob psychology. And the origins of crowd psychology start before like even the 1900s, Uh, it started with criminal anthropology that focused on assigning responsibility to individuals who committed crimes within crowds. So again, it goes back to that, where do we place the blame here? Right. And can we place the blame on people who committed crimes while they were part of a crowd? And this is totally a side note, but Cesar Lombroso came up in this. Do you remember him? Why do I know that name? I talked about it in episode forty nine. In forty nine, what was that one? Physiognomy, the oh. ologies episode. Oh duh, yeah, okay. Yeah. He was the guy who thought criminals all had physical similarities. Oh the,
0: yeah, that's right. The high foreheads the and the foreheads weird and eyebrows, and, eyebrows and, all and, that. and noses, yeah. Yeah.
1: The, the all criminals have noses. <laughs> Except for Voldemort, I guess. <laughs> oh, that was a good reference, Danish. <laughs> <laughs> Good That's job. just because you've been watching Harry Potter. Now I know Harry Potter, so
0: you can reference it, and I can actually understand
1: it. <laughs> like, I get that, I get that reference, I get it. Uh, I'm uh, so excited, so, i
0: broadened my horizons so much. So that much. was
1: obviously Cesar Lombroso, is Italian. So oh. in Rome... Um, Lombroso. Lombroso is Italian. And he was saying this stuff about criminal anthropology, and the French were like, no! <laughs> 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 Like social environment is much more important than criminal behavior in crowds. <laughs> I'll you
0: say get, that
1: again in a regular, not yeah, so people can actually understand it. That they said social environment is more important in criminal behavior in crowds, and not obviously freaking physical traits.
0: <laughs> but but if you're really ugly, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean
1: <laughs> that helps with the <laughs> anonymity, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, they were saying that. What's going on in the social sphere has to do with how quickly a crowd forms, basically, and what the crowd does.
0: Yeah. It's one of those, yeah. Duh. Duh. I yeah. mean, this
1: was also like pre-1900s. mm So I could do a whole rundown on sociology, but let's just say that sociology does have a lot of stuff on crowds. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing they clarify is that crowds, even when they're using this mob mentality, don't necessarily turn violent. And in fact, even sometimes it's used for good stuff, this kind of mob mentality Sure. From what I read, the sit-ins with the civil right movement were qualified as mob mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, just that everyone was creating a community around a common ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like sporting events are another example that can be pretty mild. Can although be,
0: yeah. Or they can turn very <laughs> They can turn very ugly. Dark. There yeah. have
1: definitely been some like people being trampled and stuff like that and people yeah. getting harassed. And right. So it can Violence. turn volatile. Yeah. But that's another event where emotions are very high, that that emotional contagion is very high. And also, they're like-minded individuals anyway, so they're more likely to empathize with each other and create that us versus them. Exactly. So a lot of the mob mentality, like, causes that I mentioned are present anyway in a sporting event. It's very true. One thing I found interesting was that there's no consensus on how, I'm going to call them crowdologists, let's go with that, crowdologists (sighs) classify types of crowds. There's like a whole bunch of different people who put forth different ideas on what types of crowds there are and how to classify them. Huh. Scholars, oh, I'm not going to be able to say these. Mombos and Berlonghi? Uh, used the purpose of the crowd's existence to classify them. But even then, they didn't agree on how to classify them. Uh, Mombas said there were casual, conventional, expressive, and aggressive crowds. Berlonghi said there were spectator, demonstrator, or escaping crowds. Huh. Sociologist Herbert Bloomer used a system of emotional intensity and found that there were four types. Casual, conventional, expressive, and acting. Good grief. Uh, Yeah. His system is dynamic, so he said that a crowd changes its level of emotional intensity over time. That makes sense. And that it can Mm -hmm. be classed in any one of the four types and might change Uh types. So it's never just one type.
0: I kind of like that. Yeah. Because crowds do evolve sometimes.
1: Now, this one is kind of the most comprehensive. This is from uh, someone named Greenberg, and he says that crowds can be active, so mobs, or passive audiences Mm -hmm. so active crowds can then be typed as aggressive escapist acquisitive or expressive Wow. Mm-hmm. Aggressive mobs are the violent kind, the outwardly focused kind, so like riots. Right. Escapist mobs are characterized by a large number of panicked people trying to get out of a dangerous situation. So that's like, I, I just read something about some concert that was... Where there was a shooter? No, there was a, the venue was too, too full. Oh, okay. And people tried to leave and got trampled. Oh, God. Acquisitive mobs, now this one is interesting and we should talk about it, occur when large numbers of people are fighting for limited resources. Ah, oh, that's the toilet paper thing. That's the toilet paper thing. I would also qualify like Black Friday shoppers Acquisitive. As that. Yeah, um, like acquiring. Oh, okay. Like not inquisitive. I was,
0: okay, that's where I, my brain yeah. was going the wrong direction. Like
1: ACQ. Yeah,
0: thank you for giving me the uh, denotation of that reference. I needed that, thank you. <laughs>
1: And finally, expressive mobs are any other large group of people basically gathering for an active purpose. So civil disobedience, uh, rock concerts, religious revivals all fall under the category because they're active, they're doing something, but it's not like they're being aggressive or they're trying to acquire or get, a, get away from something. Okay. Can I give you some studies? That's a lot. Okay, yes, lot. please.
0: I love okay. when you give me studies.
1: I'm going to give you a study right now. Let's talk about the Ash Conformity study. I feel like I've talked Dash. about this before. Do you know about, like, how much do you know about it? Mm. None. None? None. That came Not out, like, applicable. subconsciously. <laughs> like, it came
0: out without me thinking of talking, and it just came out. Were, it
1: wasn't a word, none. but it distinctly was none. <laughs> none. 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 Okay. No,
0: you've talked, we've talked about it, haven't yeah. we?
1: Yeah, it's somewhere. It's I don't not know if it was on a media enough to do a whole like episode yeah. part on it is the problem. Okay, so remind us. Well, the Ash Conformity study was in 1951. Uh, like I said, I already mentioned that we had talked about it previously, but it was a line judgment study where... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a line of one length and then a set of three lines of different lengths and participants had to say which of the three lines was the same length as the first line. Now, that sounds pretty easy, but one participant was in a room with seven <laughs> confederates uh, is mm-hmm. one term for it. Plants is another term. Stooges is my favorite term for it. <laughs> I think that's mean. <laughs> Who agreed to say- Fakers. Tag big, yourself. Are big, you a confederate, fat a stooge, or a plant? And they agreed to say the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. By the time it got to the actual participant after all of the stooges had said the wrong answer- Often the actual participant gave the wrong answer as well Mm -hmm. that the other ones had given. Right. So 12 times out of 18 trials this happened. That's a lot. That's That's significant. So it's just kind of going with that pack mentality of if I'm the odd one out, I will be separated from this group. So that even happens. I mean, it's not like this person knew these seven people. No. It's just. They didn't want to be eaten. They didn't want to be eaten. That was what happened. In the six trials where they didn't answer the same, they got (laughs) eaten. Good Good job, Ash.
0: There's some ethical issues with those studies, but it was was
1: 1951, it was a different time. They ate people then. It was
0: no big deal. (laughs) They ate people. It was socially acceptable. (laughs) If you fail. If you fail in a test, you get eaten.
1: That's survival of the fittest, baby.
0: The 50s were tough. <laughs> <It's> rough times. <laughs> you think this quarantine is tough? No.
1: Wait till we start eating people.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I'm just kidding. That
1: probably won't happen. Yeah, I, let's
0: not joke about that too much.
1: <laughs> Leeds University researchers in 2008 did an experiment where, this is my favorite one of the ones I'm going to talk about. They did an experiment where volunteers were told to randomly walk around a large hall without talking to each other. A few were given more detailed instructions on where to walk. So, uh, those are kind of the plants those are kind of the confederates uh, they, they know were where volunteers supposed to walk. but it's not like they were part of the study they mm-hmm. were just volunteers in the study but people ended up blindly following these one or two instructed people who appeared to know where they were going that they
0: were walking in a certain they
1: like had a purpose and people were like i want to follow the guy who looks like he knows what he's doing
0: that kind of reminds me right now though of going into stores during this time where uh-huh. you're supposed to Because we're supposed to keep six feet between us, yeah. And it's interesting to watch how some people are very specifically being very careful and following that rule, and others are just like bumping into things. And And it's
1: like you are not following the directions.
0: Can you not see the established flow,
1: Nazi? (laughs) (laughs) You're in a weird place, my Nazi alarm went off. (laughs) Nazi. Ding 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 Nazi.
0: I didn't know you had that alarm. I'm glad Doesn't everyone have a Nazi alarm.
1: I, didn't I think everyone should have a Nazi alarm. I
0: didn't know you were equipped with that. We I think we should model. all have
1: a Nazi alarm in this time in our political landscape. <laughs> So the results of the lead university test showed that it only takes five percent of confident-looking and instructed people to influence the direction of ninety-five percent of people in the crowd. Holy crap! There were two hundred volunteers, and this is what they found. So That's they amazing. only needed to talk to like ten people, uh-huh. and like everyone else would follow them. That they would form into little, like they would follow the ones who look that, like that they But that kind of going. goes with,
0: you know, like when we, uh, we, we tell our, especially like adolescent people, yeah. you're a leader, you know, and the way that you act and the things that you do, people will follow you. You can use Statistically, only for
1: 5% of adolescents are leaders. <laughs> And the other ninety five percent well. But it's them. really
0: true. If you're if you have a leader personality, if you have those talents and gifts that make right. you a leader, choosing whether you're gonna use that in a in a good way or a bad way is a pretty big deal. Because right. you're gonna influence people either way.
1: I would be interested to know if they did any I didn't look too far into this study, but I would be interested to know if they did like screening that more leadership types were chosen to be the to instructed be the, ones mm, or if they just randomly chose which i think would be more telling if so they randomly too. chose them which they i would guess that they did
0: but i mean some people kind of give off that vibe that's true of being a leader it's true i know that sounds kind of wee woo
1: no i get it you have like an aura of confidence yes yes but they probably did it numerically probably that's how a lot of people do studies especially if you have 200 people in your study to keep it more probably do it numerically Mm -hmm. then statistically in that 95 percent, there's going to be leader types yeah so i wonder if they like maybe fell into the group later like they didn't want to follow so much because they are leader types Mm -hmm. but then eventually it just kind of gets overwhelming like i'm the only person who's not going with this group Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm don't want to get eaten.
0: Yeah, because even if you're a leader, you don't want to get eaten.
1: You don't want to get eaten, (laughs) especially if you're a leader, I would say.
0: You want to live to fight another day.
1: (laughs) And finally, researchers in Hebrew University, NYU, and MIT in 2013 explored herd mentality in online spaces, specifically in digitized, aggregated opinions, which is a fancy way to say if you're going to like a status. (laughs) Online comments were given an initial positive or negative vote, up or down. I don't know why they had to clarify that. I know what positive (laughs) and negative means. Up or down. On on an undisclosed website over five months. Let's think about it. Facebook, you can't do up or down. Reddit, maybe? You can upvote or downvote things on Reddit. I bet it was Reddit. The control group. There you go, you figured it out. I disclosed it. I don't, I don't know. Um, don't. Uh, um, <laughs> woo, woo. sirens start going off. <laughs> it's been breached. It's been breached. The confidentiality of this 2013 study has been compromised. Uh, the control group comments, so the ones who were not upvoted or downvoted, basically, were left alone, mainly. But the researchers found that the first person reading the comment was 32% more likely to give it an upvote if it had been already given a fake positive score. Wow. Over five months, comments artificially rated positively showed a 25% higher average score than the control group comments, uh, with the initial negative vote ending up with no statistical significance. Which is interesting to me, because I would think that that would be kind of a oh, that's already being downvoted. Let's brigade that. Let's yeah. jump on that. Since you already talked about how negative emotions are more stronger. like stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. But prior ratings created a uh, significant bias in individual rating behavior and positive and negative social influences created kind of online hurting effects. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes.
0: Hey, can I jump off of that for a minute? Jump off. I'm jumping back to the emotional contagion because it ties to that that you just said about that study about online stuff. Mm-hmm. Because way back in 2012, believe it or not, that's a long time ago, isn't it? A dude named Adam Kramer, who
1: worked from Seinfeld, I know.
0: <laughs> he worked for Facebook. <laughs> he worked for Facebook as a data scientist, which I didn't know that Facebook had data scientists, but apparently they, of course do. they do. And way They've back in-stealing data for years. <laughs> way back in twenty twelve, Adam did this study on around 700,000 people who did not know they were being studied, which is pretty unethical. Sketchy. Yeah. He manipulated the Facebook feeds to these people to either be positively slanted or negative. So like... With some of them, he would he would give them positive stuff, and some of them, he would give them more negative stuff, and he followed these people to see how they reacted, and obviously, the people who had more negative stuff in their feed started to react more negatively. Well,
1: sure. Generally, You're bombarded generally. with right. negativity. And then,
0: and obviously, the positive people started making more and more positive comments. Right. He actually got into some trouble for this.
1: Yeah, of course he did. And had to later, like... <laughs> Since we are now hearing about this,
0: <laughs> he had to later, like, uh, issue an apology for manipulating the yeah, Facebook users. Duh. But the, the study, study, so to speak, nonetheless, showed that... This is the
1: study in the same way, like the Stanford prison <laughs> exactly. experiment it was an experiment. Exactly.
0: And so even though we know that, like, the emotional contagion thing is much more powerful on a face-to-face level, where you're actually interacting with people, this manipulated unethical study showed that we are affected even just by statuses on Facebook or on Twitter or wherever you are.
1: Yeah, I think it depends on how you qualify like power of a group mm-hmm. because yeah in person it's easy to get caught up and it's easy to have the empathy in person where you can get caught up in that emotional contagion part of it but the online part has the anonymity in spades which uh-huh. makes it easier and there's a high instance of like us versus them because the like-minded individuals can stray to the like-minded like forums and stuff right. like that That's right. so it's easy to coalesce into something that's harmful Right. so I mean I think it depends on what you consider a powerful impactful group right
0: and I think that right now with what's going on in our world with all of the quarantine and all of the the news about uh, the COVID-19 and all that that this is really significant because if you're constantly looking at stuff whether it's on social media or if it's on the general media that's negative and that's that's bringing people down I mean it's that's not good for you psychologically you need to you need to be balanced in that and feed yourself some positive stuff too or it's going to really start to impact you
1: I've seen a lot of people in my Facebook feed like there's so much negativity so like put something positive put the the seventh picture from your picture roll in the comments or whatever it's like okay but I don't know like I think a lot of people are trying to get away from that but that doesn't uh, I mean it doesn't fix it it doesn't take (laughs) it away no you
0: have to make those choices okay you
1: have more about mobs
0: I have a case study about
1: mobs So let's talk about murder.
0: Murder. (laughs)
1: Murder. First of all, for a good podcast about some mob mentality murders, may I direct you to Wine and Crime?
0: Wine and Crime. Yes,
1: if any of our listeners um, enjoy true crime, Wine and Crime is... I would say one of the podcasts that made me want to get into podcasting.
0: Really? Yeah. I love
1: them. Uh, They're three Minnesotan ladies and they drink wine and they talk about true crime. Hmm. And they're very funny and it's very fun to listen to, uh, even though they're talking about crime. So they have an episode, I think it's like 14 or 15 or something, that talks about mob mentality murders. And they even talk about like the psychology of it a little bit. Cool. Um, So yeah, go check them out if you are into true crime.
0: You are not only referring people back to other episodes. So as we've done but you've referred people to several different podcasts you are getting it done today girl get it done today everyone go listen
1: to more podcasts <laughs> that's the the moral of the story today
0: i wish you could see anna's hand motions because they are very effective i'm so sweaty
1: <laughs> is that why you're moving your arms around a to bit, air it I'm out kind of yeah so let me take a try At the true crime stuff, I'm not going to talk about a specific true crime murder.
0: I'm drinking wine, so I'll do that part of it. You (laughs) You do the wine, I do the
1: crime. I'm going to talk about the Salem witch trials.
0: Ooh. So
1: I'm not going to do too much history on this. I think we could do a whole episode on the Salem witch trials. We
0: should. We we should. Probably should. Let's do that.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Hey, let's do that. Hey, let's
1: do that. (laughs) Hey, write that down. So everyone pretty much knows the Salem witch trial story that it was like 200 people were accused of being witches in Salem and 30 people were found guilty. 19 people, 14 women and five men were executed by hanging and one dude was crushed by rocks until he died. Oh. Giles Corey. What a guy. What a guy, Giles Corey. This is the more weight guy. You know that story? No, I think he's in the crucible. Oh, okay, yes, yeah, okay, that, got that's it. Truce, More weight. That, yeah. that was, that's, that's a real, real guy.
0: Wow. He
1: was he. They put big rocks on him, which seems like a very strange. I think they were just trying to get him to confess something. You're trying to, but they push crushed him, to, the him to death, and they said, "Are you going to confess now, or something like that?" Or what do you have to say for yourself? And he said, "More weight," and they put another rock on him, and he died. Badass. Badass to the end. Badass. So. Obviously, this was a big snowball effect where one person claimed that they saw the devil and another person accused someone of practicing witchcraft and it all escalated from there. It's like, and and one thing led to another and then 20, <laughs> 20 people were executed. Oh God, that's awful. And, that is horrible. And basically people formed a lynch mob. Uh-huh. I mean, a, co- a whole town kind of coalesced into a lynch mob. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people that were accused were not given fair trials because at that point, the mob, was not capable of giving a fair trial right it was not capable of being reasonable or being fair And they were just consumed by this panic that was happening.
0: Right. And if you dared to stand against it, you'd be thrown in as one of the witches. Exactly.
1: That's one of the, like, historically significant kind of societal events that was going on. Uh So some of the other circumstances, so this was in 1692 and 1693. First, I thought this was interesting. There was a socioeconomic strain due to King William's War. And that was leading to scarcer resources, which was leading people to arguing. People couldn't
0: find toilet paper. People
1: couldn't find toilet paper. And one thing led to another, and people got <laughs> and burned people... for being witches. <laughs> but that does fall That's... under acquisitive mob, kind of. Exactly. And then it came to the actual trials. The, the mass hysteria was going on. But like you just said, there was evidence that people who kind of scoffed at these accusations being accused later. Right, Because they were not taking it seriously. Exactly. Again, that us versus them thing. Mm-hmm. If you're not in this that you're accusing people of being witches, you must be one of them. Again, it kind of led to self-preservation. They didn't want the witches to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, we see this like people leaving their personal beliefs aside and being swept up in the groupthink of believing that witches are not only real, but active in their community. I know it was a different time. But I do have some issue with like a whole town believing in witches. I think that probably there were some people who didn't believe in witches. Oh, I'm sure.
0: But they weren't going to say anything because they didn't want to get eaten.
1: Well, they didn't want to get eaten. And even like, even if you don't believe in witches, if there's a hundred people around you saying this person's a witch, you start to go oh, shit, maybe there's wishes and maybe she is one. Mm. I mean, like, you kind of start so to second-guess yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole group around you is saying this one thing, and you, again, it's kind of evolutionary. You don't want to be the one left out. But also, I do think that social stuff is so important to us that it can really make us second guess ourselves.
0: Absolutely.
1: And so, I mean, we can be very easily swayed. Mm -hmm. I mean, just off the top of my head, thinking about more like mom mentality murderers, if you want to call it that. I mean, there's been several true crime instances, like cases, where especially young girls, like teenage girls... Uh, I'm thinking of, like, the there was a Slenderman murder. Oh, God, yeah. Where, like, the there was a young girl who said, like, Slenderman wants us to kill our friend, and the other girl, like, went along with it. Yeah. Um, I just read one where another, like, a group of girls... It's like hysteria. It kind of is. This group of girls, like, killed someone who, it was very, for very petty reasons, and Uh they, like, tortured this girl. I can't remember any of the names. But one of the girls in the group that did the killing didn't even know this kid. Oh, my God. She just went along with her friend group to Uh do it. Oh, God,
0: that's awful.
1: All that mass hysteria can really converge into I've got to do this even if it is horrendous to me, even if it's never something I would do. I don't know it's just kind of scary how
0: that—that's a deindividuation that we can't pronounce. Yes,
1: that word that, we that you can't, can't even
0: think—you can't even think for yourself anymore. Right? It's like you have—you have, you have you don't yourself. have that capacity. And I to think, think
1: that is something that, to me, that's like a primal fear. Like, yes. losing myself so much that oh, I would horrible. do something yeah. against my own morals. That's right. horrifying. Like, especially with all this going on, like, you and I have had conversations about fear of death and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't fear death as much as I fear, like, losing my sense of self and doing something terrible. Absolutely.
0: So I think how... that shows a healthy psyche.
1: Thanks. Death, <laughs> death come for me, but if you try to make me do something wonky. <laughs> but no. don't. I gotta be who I am. I got be who I am, I death. I am who I am. All right, so mom, how do we not do
0: that? How do we not become an angry mob how and do hang we witches? not die? No, I'm talking
1: about dying How do we now? not get eaten? How do we not get eaten by witches? Well, <laughs> First you uh... hang sage in your house. Sage <laughs> wow, is very important. Wow, that's a really
0: loaded question. So <laughs> let, let's go back around. Let's, let's go back to the fact that this whole mob mentality thing is connected to emotional contagion and that we get caught up in those emotions. But probably many of us, who are right now hanging out together during this episode are not going to be in those kind of situations. Hopefully, certainly not I right now. I really we can't be in groups of more right than now. 10. We're so quarantined that there's no mob. No sporting events. Going on. Yeah, but and I mean, I guess this kind of even speaks to when we do get back to somewhat what we would consider normal life, and we actually are all working again and doing those things. But right. we literally have to. This sounds kind of silly, but we talk a lot about making choices and that an important part of being mentally healthy is is to not only be self-aware, but to realize that we do have responsibility for our own actions and we do make choices every day. And one of those choices is who we hang out with and what we do look at on social media. So if you choose to hang out with people who are constantly negative, but then you're upset because you feel pulled down by their emotionality of negativism, then uh, duh. You're making Negativism? that choice. Negativi- <laughs> is-ism. Negativism. is is
1: Negativism. Negativity is Negativity You know what I mean?
0: You know what I I'm know saying? What you, mean. you know what I'm saying? I know I'm what you're saying. saying.
1: I know what you're saying. It's you sometimes can make tr- you got to weed it out. Sometimes you got to weed those people out.
0: That's right. And and you might be listening and say, well, that's cool, but I work with these negative people and I cannot weed them out because they're part that's of. That's true. And so, yes, that's absolutely true. You do choose the people you hang out with. Like his friends, but it is true we don't choose not only the people we work with but our family members it too. Is. Sorry, Anna, but <laughs> yeah, you you're, you had you're to, a you had to have me the, my you are a positivism
1: and, in my life.
0: I'll oh, take
1: you. But I've 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 been in that situation where I'm thinking of one job in particular that was very negative. I mean mm-hmm. the. Greater culture of the workplace and also the people that I immediately worked with were very negative. Mm -hmm. And it significantly impacted my mental health. Absolutely. I mean, like, I could tell I was becoming a grumpier person. Mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I was trying so hard not to, but it's hard to stay away from that when you're surrounded by it. Right. So often what I had to do was just separate myself. Mm -hmm. I I would get made fun of a lot in that job for being so quiet. They're like, you know, why are you so quiet? Why don't you ever talk? And in my head, I'm like, I don't want to talk to you people. Right. Like, you're not the people I want to talk to, so I'm not going to talk to you. Mm-hmm. But again, that kind of puts you at an odd man out situation.
0: You would have been the first to be eaten
1: there. I, they would have if eaten you me have in have a, a heartbeat. <laughs> if you wouldn't have gotten that. I had to keep a knife on me at all times, <laughs> Mom. They would have eaten me in a heartbeat. So even though you
0: can't choose those situations, you can do like what Anna just said. You can set boundaries. And you can decide, I'm not going to take part in those conversations. I'm going to pull myself away from the crowd if it's possible. You know, it's also, you might say, well, I don't have a choice. i got to have a job. i got to work here. I can't quit. I I get that. I totally get that. But if you're in a position where you can choose to get a different job and you realize that that's how negative your environment is, then that might be something you want to consider.
1: Right. Or if it's making you a more negative person just, and you're being a negative influence, Exactly. maybe you need to look at that. Also, I think we have talked a lot about like the evolutionary side of this and how sometimes we need to like engage our higher brains to tamp down our like monkey brains exactly where our monkey brains are saying i need to go along with this because i'll get eaten right and we need to be like these people probably aren't going to eat me that's probably not going to happen
0: yes do self-talk about not getting
1: eaten And do
0: self-talk about not being able – I mean, it's a good thing to be – to try to be a positive person and to try to be that person who is more optimistic when others around you are being negative. But then to also realize that you cannot change those people. Mm -hmm. You can't make them positive just by being positive. So you got to – it goes back to that thing that we often talk about where you know your limits. Yeah. And –
1: I remember being very frustrated in that job where I would come in and try to be like, good morning, and try mm -hmm. to be all chipper, which that's not really me either. I was really cranking it up. Right. Just to try to try to inject some sunlight into this stupid office. Yeah, and it, it, it d- never worked. And they were right. like, is it really? I, they would like even respond negatively to yeah. that. And I'd be like, cool, I'm going to go to my office and shut my door for the rest don't of the day. Me, <laughs> don't eat me. Don't talk to me. Don't just, do anything. Just so you know, I would not taste good. I'm going to my office. <laughs> I'm going to go to slather myself with like Tabasco sauce <laughs> so you people don't eat me.
0: But I think it comes back around to what we always talk about, about that self-awareness. Yeah. And, and knowing who you are. I, there was a quote that I wanted to share with you about the kind of people that we choose to hang out with. I like this quote very much. This is from um, Neil Burton, who's a psychiatrist in Oxford. He talks about how we choose people to be around. And it doesn't mean, it, I like what you said in that last comment, it doesn't mean you have to be like the perkiest, most sunny person. That's yeah. not true. It says, the ideal person to choose to be around is not necessarily someone who is positive all the time. It's more someone who is level headed and willing to engage with you, including even your darker thoughts. Sure. I love that. Cuz we do need to be able to be negative. Sometimes, sometimes. you got to be. And especially right now with what's going on in our world, we need time to say this really sucks. Yeah. And I feel sad today and I feel like crying today. You and I
1: have been doing that a lot with we each have. other. Where we've been calling each other and saying, "I feel really unmotivated today. Exactly. I'm so tired. I I'm feeling really weighed down by the stuff I need to do." And mm-hmm. and just like it's it's good to be able to vent those, but also I think a thing that we do to each other is we make each other laugh and ourselves out of them yeah so we like allow ourselves this space to be negative and to vent that negativity but after it's vented leave it there Exactly. And move on.
0: And that's something we talk about in counseling every once in a while, is that whether you're mourning, like you're grieving, or you're angry about stuff, or you just have stuff that you need to process and to vent, that you take time to do it, but then exactly what you just said. You feel Anna, it. but You then... feel it in the moment. You acknowledge it. You know it's there. But then you say, OK, now I'm going to leave this here mm-hmm. in this space, in this box, however you put that. And I'm going to go into the rest of my day, and I'm going to have optimistic thoughts. And I'm going to do my best to be my best. Yes. And then if I need to revisit it later in the day again, I'll go in there and open the box or whatever. Right, So, right. But I think it's, again, it's just an awareness that we are definitely affected by each other and we affect people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, think Floyd about that. Freud called
1: that mutual suggestion.
0: Ooh. He said
1: that not only does the leader of the group influence everyone, but every member of the group influences every other member. I love when you quote Freud. Freud. <laughs> It makes me so proud. <laughs> Ziggy.
0: Ziggy. <laughs> All right. Vegas Nerve is happy. He's smiling.
1: Reno the Vegas Nerve. Reno, Hi, buddy.
0: Are you smiling, dude? Feeling he like always that? looks like he's smiling.
1: A <laughs> little floppy he is.
0: He is. He's not very... Fl- Where
1: is he? Does he... It's... it's for, for those of you who don't have Instagram, he's kind of like a Y with a very long tail. With a little fork tail at the end.
0: Mm-hmm. Looks like a snake. He does kind of look like a snake, but we know you he's go a go in, in the head? Like this,
1: this yeah, but he goes,
0: under, like, bit up bit. underneath into your amygdala, and there you go. That's it. You could wear him. And-
1: <laughs> he's a necktie right now.
0: <laughs> okay, so, closing thoughts. My closing thought is... In way of a thank you to our listeners that even though we don't have feedback from you, we imagine, we perceive that you are with us while we talk. And so hopefully we're feeding off of each other's positivity. Let's all have a Zoom
1: meeting, listeners. Oh, that would be gotta go. Let's all have a Zoom meeting. That's the new
0: thing. Meet me on Zoom, baby. So thank you for listening. And I hope that you do go back and maybe listen to some of those episodes that Anna referenced and maybe the best
1: of, best of visit a couple of. of those
0: other uh, podcasts that are so good that Anna uh, also recommended. And join us again next time. And stay well and be happy and safe. And think positive thoughts and spread positive emotional contagion. While you're washing your hands. And wash your hands. Wash your hands. Like Mama always said, wash your hands. <laughs>
1: Yes, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us on social media where we are doing the good groupthink. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're Freudian Sips Pod on everything. Our site is freudiansipspod.com. You can find links to all the episodes I mentioned. You can find links to everywhere else you can follow us, all that good stuff. Our merch page is on there. And
0: remember the the donation thing.
1: Yes, and go to Podchaser and leave us a review and we will reply to it. And then together we will donate to a food bank. There you go. And we can help out with this COVID stuff. I know sometimes we're feeling a little helpless right now with all this going on. So let's do what we can by leaving Freudian Sips a review. We're on Patreon if you want to support the show. We've got a few chapters of our Murder Yet to Come review up on there. We're Freudian Sips pod on there as well. And our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin MacLeod. It sounds like this.